0: 76 episodes of The Link Podcast. I am also Hugh Jackman in this play and cut. Welcome back to The Link Podcast, episode 76. If you couldn't figure that out, I'm your host, Mike Zago. I do like Hugh Jackman. Wolverine, the greatest showman. So I wanted to go see him on Broadway. He did star in The Music Man. I don't know anything about The Music Man, but it came to mind when episode 76 rolled around, so you gotta do what you gotta do. Can't show Wolverine claws on an audio-only podcast, so this is the only Hugh Jackman joke I got. I could probably think of more. Went to see Aladdin instead? Good stuff. Genie is amazing. Also, in what world do you actually need 76 trombones? You're telling me you got to the 75th trombone and said, It's not enough. It's just not enough. What else is cool about 76? 1776. Fun fact about 1776, which you may not know... It was a leap year. Didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Teaching to things. Philadelphia 76ers. Dr. J. Julius Irving still dunks in old age. Big fan of his. Top 10 on my all-time NBA players list. But that's something for the Mike the Mush Sports Channel. We'll get to that at the ad break. While I could do number puns for the whole entire episode, and you guys know it, I did want to talk about something else. I've been feeling lately like social media in general and this digital world that we're going into gets A, a bad rep, and two... People kind of dismiss it as this thing that's not very real. I don't know if it's because Facebook came up with this metaverse thing, or if people are just resistant to change, or if it's all the negative aspects of social media that do exist, but people are starting to treat it like we don't actually live in a digital world right now, which we do, and also... That social media and the internet itself doesn't have any positive attributes, which it definitely, definitely does. I also heard a clip from the Joe Rogan podcast where he's breaking down the issues with TikTok, which we'll get to and is admittedly complicated. But he was talking about all the permissions that the app needs. And I have a background working in product, on digital products, mobile apps, etc. And to me, all of the things he listed were somewhat explainable, at least. Now that's not to say that people in this world aren't taking advantage of privacy laws and rules and regulations and selling data and it's all very scary and you should be careful about it. But I also do know that people work for these apps who are just trying to make a living and build features which people do think are cool, which then require some permissions in your app which can be taken advantage of and it's a slippery slope. Like of course we all know that if I start talking about waffles on the podcast... And you're playing it out loud and your phone hears this, you might get an EGO ad. And why do I say EGO? Because it's one of the only words that my last name has rhymed with throughout my whole entire life, and so it deserves respect. Also, as far as frozen waffles go, EGO sets the standard, baby. I'll even go as far as to say the premier frozen breakfast food, but I digress. A good example was one of the things he pointed out was that it needs access to your contacts and text messages and stuff, which is scary. And they can use that for bad. No doubt about it. But also people who have TikTok who want to share things with people who don't have TikTok have a couple of options. One, they can hit the share button, copy the link, go out to your text message, paste the link, and then you're good to go. The other option, and this isn't for TikTok specifically, but it's a thing that exists on mobile apps. Is that you can natively click a button and inside of the app it will launch your list of contacts so you can type in who you want it to go to and you can click one button which will automatically generate a text message to send to that person. Now the app can't possibly do that for people who don't already have TikTok accounts. If it didn't have access to your text messages. And that's a feature that people think is cool so that they don't have to do the copy and paste thing. Because they don't want people to leave TikTok. And I understand that. It's all about retention. You got to keep people in the app, which maybe is predatory in itself. But it's not necessarily because they want to read through your entire text message chain with your buddies. Now, the problem is, you don't know exactly what they are using it for. So you do have to protect yourself... Because there could be sensitive information in those things that you are giving permission for these apps to share that could be sold to other companies so that they can target you in advertising, or potentially worse. But my whole point here is, it's not always this sinister thing. When you hear about Twitter, you only hear about the negative aspects, the bots, the this, the that. And sometimes the this is good even if the that is bad. Does that make sense? I just feel like we've moved so far down the line of social media is always terrible and we should get rid of it, that we're losing sight of the good things that it brings to the table. So I want to point out some of those. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge we are living already in this digital world that we seem to be pushing back on. Like, oh, metaverse isn't going to exist. There's no way Ready Player One is going to become a thing where people have avatars and they just live in this second world. Meanwhile, walk around. A lot of people are buried in their phones. I don't see how it's that different. I think I mentioned it once before on the podcast, maybe a while ago, but if you think about it, we're all kind of already cyborgs. There's a lot of things that we can't really do without our phone. If I want to buy tickets to a baseball game, the tickets come to my phone. They don't even do printed tickets anymore. I can't even get into the stadium without a phone. And that's just a totally random example that came up this week. There's a million things. You go to the doctor, you have your insurance card on your phone. Some people don't use credit cards anymore. They use Apple Pay or Google Pay. We're so reliant on the phone that it might as well be a part of our body and could go down that road eventually or we become part of it. It's not that crazy to say because it's already occurring. So when I hear someone say metaverse as if it's a joke, it's like, well, you're already kind of living in it. And then you're saying that you don't want to. So which one is it? I just can't help but feel like social media has become this scapegoat for a lot of issues that we have. Mental health, societal fractures where we're arguing over everything, bullying. And yet those things might have always been happening. They have always been happening. And they might have just been a natural progression in society anyway, even if social media wasn't this easy culprit to point at and say, it's your fault. Maybe it's our fault. And maybe social media is bringing more good things than we think, and it's just covered up by all of the easy things to point at that are negative. I have examples. I want to go through them. I hope I don't look back on this episode in 10 years like, wow, you were wrong. But I'm trying to see both sides. I never like to paint with broad strokes. I say that all the time on here. You got to see the yin and the yang of a thing. You only see the yin, then the yin yang twins wouldn't have been twins, they would have just been a guy. Guy yi yi
1: yi yi.
0: Before we hit the music, follow me at the link underscore podcast, Twitter and Instagram, write a review, Apple, Spotify, do all the things, tell your mom, tell your friends, jam to the beats. You got eight seconds. Let's go. I said 10 seconds last time, but it feels shorter. Wait, not yet. Also wait for the outro, because if you listen to last week, we're going to settle some bets that happened in episode 75. Going to be good. You don't want to miss it. All right, now hit the music. People hate Mark Zuckerberg, huh? It has to be because he looks like a robot. I get it. I do get it. It's hard to trust robots. I don't think he is one, but he has turned more into a robot. It's like Michael Jackson when he started to turn white. white. Mark Zuckerberg, part robot, but I called us all cyborgs, so, I mean, fair is fair. If he didn't look that way, if Mark Zuckerberg looked like The Rock, People would totally trust Facebook, and I wouldn't need to make this podcast episode. Nor do I think they need to be trusted, but they're still making cool shit. I gotta believe, maybe I'm naive, and part of him is definitely, I shouldn't say part of Mark Zuckerberg specifically, but part of Facebook as a company, which includes him, is probably understanding how predatory they are and prioritizing money over certain other things. I get it. I'm not painting it like it's this perfect thing. I just want to acknowledge the cool sides. And I honestly think of Facebook at this point as mega, mega popular, but it's also a legacy product, kind of. There's a reason they changed the company name to Meta, because they realized that Facebook is a product, but won't last forever. There's too many social media products that could pass them by. It's like, I was a shareholder in Netflix, and I was riding high. And then a lot of other things come along, and it's competition knocks them down a peg. They'll come back. I believe my money's not gone. I hope. I really thought Netflix and chill would ride them into the sunset. That lasted about, it lasted a while for a meme saying. It's tough. Think with your head, not your memes. So I do think Facebook has benefits, which people don't acknowledge, and it seems like this boomer thing, and I get it, whatever. But that is because it's a legacy product. This is why they've moved on. I actually don't think it's their main focus anymore as a company. Not to say it won't innovate, and they'll try to stick around and whatever. They tried Facebook gaming for, like, streaming and stuff. That flamed out. Facebook dating exists. It's a great product. They'll do stuff like that, but I even think that has gotten unnecessary hate. What, because of fake news stuff? Whatever, dude. Don't click on links from walmartnews.com and then complain that it's not perfect journalism. Don't click on links from ivandragoblog.com. I would read that. Isn't Dolph Lundgren like a scientist? <coughs> yup, internet. Degree in chemical engineering. From the KTH Royal Institute of Technology. Master's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Sydney, 1982. Fuck it. We're clicking on ivandragoblog.com. The point is, whole first blog post is just his emotional thoughts about Apollo Creed. The point is, second blog, how he's a real scientist and Bill Nye isn't. The point is, with the negatives come positives. I have kept in touch with so many people from college... From past parts of my life with family members, I can see their kids on a regular basis or at least pictures at something. I understand Instagram has taken that over, whatever, but the point remains. It opened that up to us. And it still does. I have groups of people that allow us to stay in touch. My fantasy football group is a Facebook group. I write power rankings every week. They're hilarious. I've had to come up with anti-Tom Brady puns for a fucking decade. You think that's easy? No, Facebook allows me to do it. It doesn't, but, you know, the talent is mine and I post it there. I think there were great things about it. I still think it's worth using. I actually like Facebook Messenger. It's a good product. If you didn't have to tie it to a Facebook account, I think it would be wildly popular, but why would they do that? And I think it's just a scapegoat for everything. There's so much, like, fear-mongering around Facebook and social media about bots and about foreign affairs, especially Facebook. And it's like, that's just the internet in general. You gotta be aware of where you are on the internet, no different than you don't go into a back alley in Fallujah and just walk around like, this is going to be fine. Maybe it is. Maybe they have good food. I'm actually intrigued. I felt kind of bad, so I looked up that the Iraqi National Museum is in Fallujah, so maybe there's a back alley around there. Still, just know what you're doing. It's not the platform that matters. So all those issues I kind of just put on the internet and people in general, and they get pinned to specific outlets, Twitter too, like it's their fault that people make shit up. Or bully other people. And can they do a better job at improving the ways they react to that and the algorithmic hiding of those kind of things? Yes. And I think that's what people have a problem with because their algorithms, I believe this is true for Facebook and Twitter, it's how I interpret it anyway, are based entirely off of, obviously interaction is massive. And generally on the internet, a back and forth interaction is going to pump your numbers up per minute so much that that is going to fly up your algorithm no matter what you do. And generally, when there's a back and forth like that, it's a fight or a debate. And so naturally, that content rises to the top. But again, going back to the product thing, are they necessarily forcing any argument politically into everyone's feed? I don't know. There's got to be some of that, and it can be improved. But also, if I were building an app, the logic that I would definitely use, if not just a chronological timeline, which they do generally offer that option now... I would probably have it be based on interaction with that post. And that kind of seems like the same thing. So I don't I don't want to say it's not intentional. But I do think it's very reasonable that it's a byproduct of how the internet works when you're trying to improve the product to put things in front of the customers that everyone is talking about. Because that's how you get things in the zeitgeist, right? The same thing is true when a television show comes out. When it's the Stranger Things finale, you see those posts everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. To the point where there's spoilers, which is also a bummer. But it's because there's so much interaction with people in a community of a thing that is growing on the internet, and Facebook understands that, and so does Twitter, and so do all the social media companies. So they throw it to the top of your page, which, by the way, you probably do want to see stuff about that. So you got to see both sides of this. And there has to be an actual technological improvement made, and I think they're using AI to try to figure that out, which is scary in its own right, but that's neither here nor there. Well, it's kind of directly important, but... Still, they are trying to improve that actively, or so they say, which they should be, because even if selfishly, you must trust that what these people want is money. The CEOs of these companies are trying to make money. So that's why they're selling data. They don't actually care about your privacy. That's not a good statement. It's also not a bad statement. It's just true. They don't care in either direction. But I do think... That the winner of the rat race or the next level of the rat race, why do they say, do races occur with rats as the participants? Horse race has a different connotation. Huh. The winner of the race is going to be, in the short term anyway, or at least in the public view, which is monetizable, the person who does figure out how to have this right algorithm that also genuinely is doing a thing or trying to do a thing that is helping people's attitudes towards this platform. Like, genuinely trying to protect people. Like, coming out with an AI that can somehow understand when a thing becomes dangerous or too combative and pulls it down immediately. Something like that. It's a terrible example. Also, this is how Terminator starts. But Terminator 2 is better than Terminator 1, so what are we really worried about? It got better. I want to see the T-1000 running around and morph from, like, a turtle to a bigger turtle, like Bowser. Granted, the T-800 had a lot of staying power. I think that's what people want. They're honestly scared that if we move too far forward technologically, and I don't blame people for feeling this way, that we're kind of going to lose control of it, either in a doomsday scenario kind of way, or in a way that shifts society so much that you don't really recognize it anymore. And I can understand older generations feeling that way, but I wonder if the younger generations really will. Because it just seems inevitable. It's like social media is not any different from people just interacting in big groups. Except you're so much more connected that those groups become fucking massive. And so you couldn't even fathom what it would be like to hang out in that group in person. But I think the dynamics would work pretty much the same. If you look at a city, which is generally just people in one giant group trying to make it stay on track, right? There's so much corruption in the politics of the city, in the underbelly of the city. There's crime. But then there's also great things. There's housing where you can feel comfortable. There's people helping each other. There's art. I kind of relate that the same way to social media. It's like a big group, but you have to understand that in a big group, there's going to be really good stuff and really bad stuff. There's going to be the back alley shankings like in a city. I don't know what city I'm thinking of. Fallujah or prison. Which is basically the really ugly conversations, the bullying, all that kind of stuff in the deep in the comments sections. By the way, this has happened on forums forever. Since the internet begun. Began? Began. It's not unique to social media. We need to stop giving social media like it has all of the credit of the internet in general. It's ridiculous. And then you have the corruption at the top, just like in the city. This analogy continues. I'm almost done with it. Which is the ownership of the platforms and the censorship and all that kind of stuff. It happens in real life too. It's no different. This is just people being people. And then you have the good stuff, which is the artists, the content creators, the really cool podcasts you might watch, or the people that make videos for that social media platform. And then you do have people helping people. How many posts do you see on your Facebook of someone sharing a missing person's and then they get found? And it's like, thank God we had this many people looking for them this quickly, and you didn't have to put posters on a phone poll? Phone line poll? Is there a word? Google says utility poll. I, no one says that. You don't have to put posters on a street light and get a couple hundred people to see it. You can blast it out to the internet in general and a larger, larger community. But I just think this is stuff that humans do. We need to fix the stuff that humans do, which is hard in big groups as well. But fixing social media seems weird. And then censoring it more seems a little bit weird because you don't want to do that to people in real life. And social media just feels like the next evolution of real life, which brings me to the metaverse. Now, I'm using metaverse as this kind of blanket statement for... A digital world in general. But since it's the biggest company and most ambitious in their marketing efforts trying to do this, there are a bunch of them. Second Life tried to do it. There's a lot of things. There's real estate companies purely in the digital world. Whatever. I'm going to use Metaverse as the example. It feels kind of inevitable that something like this is not only going to exist, but to get much more popular as time goes on. And if you view social media as kind of the in-between of a purely non-digital life, anything before... I guess the internet. Anything pre-90s. And then the digital world, anything since the start of the 21st century. Social media as we know it, the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikToks of the world, might be this little tiny blip if the planet doesn't explode first. That was just the very beginning, the intro to the digital world. That feels much more likely to me. If you zoom out and look at our society from the start to the finish, whenever that may be, it does feel like the difference between a non-digital world and a digital world is a big one, but we have already made that jump with the start of the internet. There's no turning it off, I don't think. And so social media being the lead-in, this simple posting text as your status, but having your own account that people can see that is not in person. So you have this virtual version of yourself, which absolutely exists on all social media platforms. That is what they are. It also exists on your email. It also exists on your fantasy football league, where you post comments on the message board. Anything on the internet, this is a virtual version of yourself. It is generally not tied to your actual physical body. Rarely. Sometimes it can be, in the form of like a Fitbit or something like that. And it actually feels like we'll close that gap too. I think Elon Musk is making like the Neuralink thing, which you put a chip in your brain and it basically digitizes your brain. Anyway, I don't know enough about that and he's got enough Twitter stuff coming probably. But it feels inevitable that we're going to have this digital world improve so we're all going to have some kind of version of ourselves on the digital world a digital thumbprint good cookies and so metaverse to me can mean a lot of different things but some of the more practical stuff in the short term that I can point out are just connecting the world big time I work remotely and I've been doing it for a long time way before the pandemic i feel like i was ahead of the curve and got to learn a few things about it and i do recognize that when you do meet the people that you work remotely with there is a purely different energy there i don't deny it and i think we're not very far in how it can work i think video chatting has improved and become more normalized the tech is getting better and i think something meta as a company can do and i've heard mark zuckerberg talk about this Is to really start there because the bar is pretty low. Maybe they're not going to have a, speaking of bars, like they're not going to have a digital bar that you can walk into and hang out and watch a sports game and talk to people and play darts and whatever. That is probably a little ways away where we have like Ready Player One, a full fleshed out digital world where you feel like you're walking around. But in the interim, he was talking about a group work meeting where there were a lot of people, and how it currently feels so detached because you're just a little either face on the screen or a picture a lot of the time. And he described one single example that made me think like, oh, there is a lot of room to grow here. And it was that if you're in a room with 20 people during a meeting, you can lean to the person next to you and whisper something, and proximity matters. Your spatial awareness and hearing changes, and speaking for that matter. So he was talking about an opportunity to enter a group meeting by digitally walking into this room and picking a seat next to another person where you can have that whispering conversation and the other people won't hear you, which means you need a visual element to it too, which they're working on. And so I'm not going to list all features of the metaverse, or I'm going to try not to. But that is so fascinating with no downside. It's just about making that digital connection more haptic. There's more feedback for your body or your digital body. And that is something that we haven't really done a lot of yet. It's like if you play a VR video game, it's much better than it used to be, but it still has a long way to go. And so the work meeting thing feels like that same thing. It's like, wow, that's a lot better than just being on a Zoom meeting. You can tell that the connection would be a step towards what it feels like to meet someone in person. Even if it's not the same thing, we're taking a step in the right direction. It's much more immersive. You can have better interactions with people in the digital world. It's like an upgrade to social media, basically. Like a massive, massive upgrade. And then with that comes a million monetization opportunities, right? Which is natural. It happens everywhere. Facebook, Instagram. A lot of people are trying to sell stuff, sure. But in this digital world that has better feedback, you can create better business opportunities because you might be able to get products and kind of feel them a little bit more. So you could have a legitimate storefront or maybe not as legitimate as a real one, but a step in that direction where you're selling things that are easier to sell than they are now because the customer potentially can get a better feel for them. Pun intended. Also, I don't want to go down this road, but for most people who are detracting from the possibility that cryptocurrency could be a thing in the future. And I'm not saying it is. I'm mostly playing devil's advocate because I see both sides of it. But this scenario that I'm laying out where the digital landscape improves steadily over the next, even call it 100 years there probably would have to be some kind of form of currency, right? And cryptocurrency and NFTs and all that kind of stuff are equipped to be that in the short term anyway. That could get evolved also. But I think that's the argument for it, and it makes sense. You're betting on a couple of things changing, not just cryptocurrency becoming relevant, not in the world that it is right now. That's an aside. We can do another episode on that. You could see how education could be improved. During the pandemic, I heard brutal stories about how hard it was to run classes, both as a teacher and a parent, or the student themselves, It was tough to connect. If you improve the way that you can connect digitally, those things can become better and you can get schooling to more people more efficiently. I'm not saying we shouldn't do things in person. I just think if the tech is already there, which it is, which we're using it all the time, Facebook to connect, Zoom to connect, this podcast to connect to you, which is great and is perfect medium, medium rare, then if we can improve those things, which is what I view the metaverse as, or at least what they are trying to do, which I think is admirable and kind of cool, then to me, that's an opportunity to peek into this future world. And I just can't think of a way that it turns the other way, where the internet just turns off and we're like, that was a weird 30 years, and people just go back to farming or whatever the fuck they did before. Again, there's obviously downsides. There's cyber crime, there's the bullying stuff, there's addiction, that's going to happen, but also it happens in real life with a lot of different things. There's the Ready Player One problem where you kind of lose connection to the real world and you become the digital version of yourself more than you actually go outside. But you know what? That happens all the time now. And it is a problem, but I think that problem would be improved if we improve the tech to fix the other side. And this isn't to say we can't fix things in the regular world. I also don't want it to become WALL-E, which is a great movie where people don't even move around anymore on their two feet or one foot or no feet on the ground well in Wally, they were on the ground whatever they like sit in cars and they just drive around because they can't walk because they're fat and they just sit in bed and eat stuff and live in the digital world but the robot's so cute I don't want it to become that I don't want mental health issues to go up I just think you have pros and cons in every single world and to think that you wouldn't have that when you're adding more people to the mix in your general connectivity it's just kind of naive but it does feel like an evolution and an interesting one (laughs) While we're doing plugs, I gotta mention that I don't talk about sports a ton on this channel. Sometimes I'll mix in an episode where we're tangentially talking about sports. The word tangentially made me want a tangello, which is an underrated fruit. It's a citrus hybrid. It's like an orange and a tangerine mixed together, I think. The point is, you'll get this kind of good stuff on Mike the Mush channel on YouTube, except sports related. But there's still fruit puns, I'm sure. You get video on that one, you get unedited coverage. Ranting about certain things, making picks, we gamble, we preview seasons. Any big stories that come out, I'll usually do a YouTube video on it. At Mike Mush Sports on Twitter and Instagram, if that's more your speed, always reacting to what's going on. I love sports, used to work at ESPN. I'm constantly talking BS with my friends about sports hot takes ridiculous things that i always say that they roll their eyes to but i believe them and i'm gonna back them up mike the mush sports on youtube give it a subscribe check it out we'll see you there how good is this funky music by the way i'm gonna miss it for the rest of the episode i also didn't have a lot of social media before i started this podcast at the link underscore podcast twitter instagram you get it i never did it I had Facebook and that was it. But honestly, the only reason I didn't have it, which is a legitimate concern, is that I know I would be on it too much, and I do think I am now, probably. And it's probably still a lot less than other people. And it's just because I have so many- I don't know how people have time. I have so many things I want to do. Not like cool guy like I'm gonna go traveling or something. I mean, I do want to do that. But it's like, I got a lot of TV and movies to watch. I want to try to read books. I want to try to play video games. I want to exercise every now and then. I can hoop. I can hoop. I'm gonna pump fake, and you're gonna bite. I want to do this podcast. I want to think about starting another one. There's a lot of stuff. And then social media is like, take an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Oops, it's 2 a.m. It's tough. So I get that downside, and I am wary of it. I am on Instagram. I do think it's a good marketing tool for sure, but I must say... While most people think that's the most popular one, and it has a good app because it's owned by Facebook, but I gotta feel like that one's not gonna last forever, right? None of them last forever, probably, which is what we're talking about in general. But it feels like such an in-between. It's basically Facebook, but more pictures than text. And by the way, I put text on mine. I don't care. I break the rules. I just feel like it doesn't bring a ton to the table, and it's already been evolved on a lot. Like Instagram stories were great because people realized they just kind of want or reels or whatever they call them. They just want to scroll. They just want to like watch videos and keep scrolling. But TikTok already improved on that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so what is proprietary that is going to keep Instagram around compared to any of them? I guess you could say that about every platform, which is probably true. They're probably all replaceable, which is why before I was trying to use just the digital world as a overture. Is that what they play in the beginning of the play? That's showing you what the play is going to be like, whatever that is. That was a good analogy. So I don't have a ton to say about Instagram that's different than all the other ones. I think it kicked the door open a little further. But then I think TikTok just bashed the door in. And then all of a sudden we'll be in a different room and there's 10 more doors and you don't know where to go. But then 90 people run through a single door and you're like, I'll try that one. Twitter, though, is different. That, I think, has staying power and doesn't actually need to evolve that much. Because the core of their program is to be so up to the minute, the second, the millisecond, that all the other stuff can evolve around it, but Twitter will still probably feel like Twitter, because it's so simple. They changed it from however many characters to however many double characters, and it didn't matter. Nothing changed. People uproar, Oh, it's supposed to be short! I don't know why a 90-year-old southern man is complaining. Also sounds like a seal, not kiss from a rose. I just don't think those things matter so much. You can do only videos and Twitter would still be interesting if it follows its same algorithm. Which, by the way, people do get upset about Twitter having their own algorithm, which I actually think is more fair to criticize. Twitter is so focused on being current, 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 beyond current, that I do get a little, not annoyed, but when I log on to Twitter and it's something from eight hours ago, I'm like, well, it's giving me what it thinks I want. I understand that. But I'm personally really on there to get like immediate stuff. Like when news breaks, everyone wants to be the first person to see it. Or you at least want to know about it right away because you live in this connective world. News is breaking in Fallujah, and I'm getting it two seconds later. Most people go to Twitter for that. And then everywhere else aggregates from Twitter. Sports news is the perfect example. If there's a trade or a free agent signing or an injury, you it always breaks on Twitter. Always, always, always. There is nowhere else that it breaks. Unless it's said in person, if it's digital, it's coming from Twitter. That's just one example, but it's what Twitter is based upon. And so all the other stuff, the bots, which I do think there are a ton of, and I find it really interesting that Elon Musk wanted to buy it, and I kind of think it was all a ploy just to force Twitter to say how many bots they have, and then he's going to try to skedaddle out the door, but the courts probably won't let him. Whatever. I am intrigued to see how many bots they have, and it is a problem, and it should be fixed, but I think it can be fixed. And then you'll be left with the core, which is... Just a strong tech for immediate connection. So I think Twitter brings great stuff to the table. I know people call it a cesspool because if you go into the comments, it's disgusting. There's bullying. There's bad things being said. Don't go into Twitter comments. It's like watching porn and going into the comments, which someone I know does. And I know he or she is listening right now. We know it's a he. Like, you deserve what you get in there. Don't go into the Fallujah back alley. You know? Unless you want some really good, like, I'm imagining in Fallujah there's some really good, like, carts with chicken kebabs or something? I want that. I probably would go into the Fallujah back alley, but I deserve what I get in there. Same way I deserve what I get if I go into the Twitter comments. Doesn't mean that Twitter can't still be a good thing. Before Twitter, where do you go to get immediate reaction to TV shows that premiere? I love that. You're gonna take that away from me? How dare you? The feeling of watching a thing on time as it airs is probably one that will go away, although I guess drop times will still become really popular. People do that. But right now, when you know that everyone's watching it at the same time, and then you take to Twitter right after, like with Game of Thrones or even Stranger Things, it's a cool feeling. And you're liberated from spoilers. Spoil me. Spoil me all day. So Twitter, net good. Net good? Net good is like a knockoff toy basketball brand. Net positive. Now, TikTok is the last one I want to talk about. Kind of covered this already in the intro, but I do wonder how much of TikTok, because there is really good stuff about TikTok. The product itself, I'm a product guy, is really genius. There's no downtime and there's no fluff. Content, swipe, content, swipe, content, swipe, content, swipe. And that's how you just stay in forever. There's nowhere to get lost. There's no real navigation necessary. A lot of people don't even use the search functionality. The sharing is really fast. There is comments, but I don't find myself spending any time there. It's just really well thought out and built. And I think even if there's something sinister happening with the data that they're collecting, I am at least able to remove myself from that enough to respect the people that built the app. Most people probably aren't. Maybe that's just my world. But it's clean. It works really well. It's nice to use. I also like that you're able to share your own experience very easily and quickly and customizable. It doesn't feel like such a big barrier to entry that you're only able to watch other people's experience and not share your own. They do a good job of that, which a lot of apps don't, right? Like I even think YouTube could be a little more user-friendly. TikTok, quick and easy to record and edit. I feel like I'm cutting an ad. I shouldn't be, unless they're paying me. But it's a good product, and that's why you sit on it for so long. But it's much closer to YouTube to me than Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and somehow it gets thrown in with the other mix. It's just a content sharing hub, and like all the stuff about permissions on your phone and data security and sharing and personal information... Those are valid, and I think because a Chinese company owns TikTok, people get more scared. But those concerns are also valid with the American companies. Google owns YouTube. You think they're not capable of the same exact stuff? And I argue that a lot of them are doing it for practical reasons, and then shady business dealings are getting done above board, only at the very top level, probably. Or maybe I'm naive. But I don't think there are borders on data valuability. And so if you're going to be scared for one company, you're already surrounded. And hopefully we can pass legislature to protect people and their information. But there is going to be more connection in the world due to technological advancements for good and for bad. And so I just think it's silly to only view it as bad. It's a yin and yang. All right, so if you didn't hear last week's episode, I'll quickly fill you in. So how does it feel to like a children's (laughs) chocolate? Dark chocolate is so superior in taste and in actual benefits to life, whereas milk (laughs) chocolate is good for six to seven-year-olds. Wow. There's more taste in dark chocolate. In the worst way. I really want to know how people feel. I feel like there's a pretty even split amongst the world. That's Insanity, insanity. You think absolutely. I was giving you fifty percent to be nice. I
1: was giving you way more of an idea <laughs> that people would agree.
0: I'll put a poll up on the Instagram at the link underscore podcast. I need to. Know
1: I'll put twenty dollars right now.
0: Twenty whole dollars. That,
1: yeah, twenty whole
0: wow. dollars. I think instead, whoever wins the poll, the other person should have to eat a full bar of either dark or milk. The loser. And I think they should have to describe exactly why they like it, <laughs> whether it's true or not. Okay. And we'll put it in the outro of another episode or That's something.
1: That's fine. So, yeah. okay. So I have to start thinking about like what kind Why
0: you of, like dark chocolate. No,
1: no, no. What kind of chocolate you're going to eat oh. when I win.
0: And now we're here. So it ended up that milk chocolate won 52 to 48. Yeah. It was, I was surprised. It was surprisingly close. Surprisingly close. I was winning the whole time. Dark chocolate was winning literally the whole time, and you pulled in just at the very last moment.
1: Yeah. I have to say, I was like very, very surprised. And I almost want to say that you won because I asked like three different people that day, and all of them said dark chocolate.
0: I think it was much more as the people will hear right before this, much more close than you thought it was going to be.
1: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. 100%.
0: Yeah. I figured it would be pretty close. I thought I would actually win, but I did not. And so we said that we would eat some of each other's chocolate on the pod, but then we went shopping and couldn't really decide which kinds to get.
1: Yeah. To be fair, I am not excited about this, but I'm going in with an open mind because clearly I might have misjudged something about dark chocolate.
0: Might have. That's a big step
1: big step yeah okay very big but we did not want to get too many of like the additives
0: yeah i mean also it's hard to find dark chocolate in every version of everything like we wanted to do dark chocolate reese's but they only had the thins which Mm. isn't the same
1: yeah i'm just gonna say i feel like if it was that good they would be there also Mm. the bunch of crunch dark was not there
0: it was not there but it does exist it does we only exist. went one place right, Target. right
1: okay fair enough
0: no disparagement to Target. it's good stuff Target is amazing but we wanted to start with regular hershey's bars yeah milk and dark
1: mm-hmm.
0: so why don't you open the dark okay i'll open the milk three hours later cheers cheers it's not a good face folks <laughs> no good
1: it's the taste that lasts for me that is like is that the milk oh yeah Give me a milk
0: chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> palate cleanser.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's my point. No. It's a palate cleanser. <laughs> no. Pa- this is so much better.
1: No, milk chocolate's where it's at. I'll, I.
0: We said we were going to be nice to each other. So... Okay, okay. I'm
1: going to be nice. It is not as disgusting as I thought it was I'll going to be. I'll take that. Okay. That's a victory. It should be a victory because maybe I've just had really bad experiences with dark chocolate, which is entirely possible. I'm not putting that like out of the realm of possibility. It is just whenever I have dark chocolate, whether it's with mint or not, it just like stays. The aftertaste is just so strong and I just don't like the That's taste. Bad. When I bit into it, I was like, This kinda tastes almost the same as any other mm-hmm. chocolate. But, but then it's got
0: some taste masquerading underneath.
1: Yeah, which I don't like. Yeah. Like
0: I it- like I like that about it. It's like a little ninja chocolate. You know? <laughs> well,
1: I would like it better if it tasted
0: better. <laughs> That's, I can't argue that, really. So then we got caramel and sea salt in both dark and milk. You want to yeah. try these? Yeah, I'm I'm more optimistic about this. Flavors. Mm-hmm. But we had to start with the baseline. Right, right. Okay, so you take the dark. I bought the ones that had the coolest packages. Very bright colors.
1: Oh, and a golden ticket. Look at that.
0: Wow, you did get a golden ticket. Look at that. I've got a golden ticket i
1: got a golden chance to make my way.
0: I didn't get a golden ticket. Well, you're not as cool as me. Yeah, you know why? Because you're opening the dark chocolate package. <laughs> so Willy Wonka himself <laughs> gives access to people who eat the dark chocolate. And okay. the milk chocolate, he's like, Well, they don't really love chocolate, so
1: you know what? I don't even have an argument for that, so I'll First let stop. you I'll let you have it. Thanks.
0: This is pretty good. This is really good. Yeah?
1: Yeah. I'll give it to you. This one's good. That was a good choice.
0: All right, wrap that puppy up.
1: I'm the least excited for these ones now.
0: (laughs) So we got regular Reese's, full cups, no thins, no minis, no bullshit.
1: Classic, way to go.
0: But they didn't have full dark chocolate Reese's, so we got a different brand. They are dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Justin's, and they are organic. Okay. Homegrown chocolate? <laughs> I don't really understand how they're organic. Maybe well, the
1: peanut. I don't know.
0: Do we go dark first together?
1: Yeah, cuz you need to finish strong. So, we'll finish with the good candy. Okay. Cheers. Hmm. It's not terrible. I'm actually surprised. It was also, like, different than a Reese's. A a little bit. In, like, almost a good way.
0: Yeah, it's a little, like, harder. Not as soft. The
1: inside is... But the inside is still soft. It's softer, yeah. Mmm. Okay.
0: Okay. I'm pleasantly surprised. So, we already know what Reese's tastes like. I mean, we can eat one, but you definitely liked it more than you would have thought, aside from the plain dark chocolate.
1: Yeah, I can't do the plain dark chocolate, but I feel like that had to be the argument. It had to be plain dark chocolate versus plain milk chocolate,
0: I guess so. But at first we were, this did spark because I said dark chocolate Reese's. Right. And you said disgusting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which it is not.
1: Yeah. I guess that's fair. I humbly and graciously accept. I'm going to say we're tied. Okay.
0: I I can live with that.
1: I think we can end this with just saying that chocolate, regardless of what it is, unless it's white chocolate, is amazing.
0: And that's because white chocolate is not chocolate. can And we agree on that. Yes. Well, agreed. we brought it together <laughs> at the end. We did. Not bad.
1: Yeah. Growth. Growth. Mm-hmm.
0: You heard it, folks. Couldn't be a more obvious secret code word for everyone who listens all the way to the end of the episodes. And this one linked back to the last episode. A lot of linking on the link. But if you're one of the real homies, you listen to the end. You don't skip out. You do the outro. You probably want some chocolate, and you'll post the secret code word growth at the link underscore podcast, or you'll text it to a friend with the link to the podcast with no explanation, but everyone wants growth. There was a move in the Pokemon video game's growth, but nobody used the moves that didn't actually attack the other Pokemon. I mean, who's doing that? Strategy, I get it, but you know, settle down. Use Vine Whip or something. In any case, when you do go buy dark chocolate, I hope you find a golden ticket. I hope you have a golden chance to make your way. And one day, if you're strolling around the metaverse and you see Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory or a brand new chocolate factory that's extravagant and you get to actually tour in real life, well, digital life, but it's real. All of a sudden, you'll understand the link between the two parts of this episode. I'm calling it. I'm going to the chocolate river and it's going to be dark chocolate. And it's going to be great, and it's going to be clean, and it's going to be delicious. Until then, one request for Charlie and Grandpa Joe. Tell the people exactly how I feel after convincing Laura that dark chocolate is not the Antichrist. We'll see you next week. Because I'd
1: have said it, it couldn't be done. done. But it can be done. I never dreamed that I would climb over the moon in ecstasy. But nevertheless, it's there that I'm shortly about to be. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, oh,